Good morning everybody and welcome to New Frontiers Church online sermon series. We're glad that you could join us. And we're approaching the end of our study on the book of 1 Peter, which was a letter written to a church living in a hostile environment. They were being persecuted and they were suffering. And the book of 1 Peter offers both comfort in their suffering and encouragement in their faith in the situation that they find themselves. John Piper summarised the whole of the book into just one sentence. This is what he said. In God's omnipotent care for you, as chosen, newborn, forgiven, cherished, spirit-empowered people of God, be so fully satisfied in God's promised grace and glory that your lives are marked by blessing your adversaries and by overflowing with good deeds with the aim that unbelievers might be won over and enjoy the glory of God forever. Whoa! Can you imagine the reality of a church living like that? Well, we hope that this sermon series has encouraged you in that. You can check out other sermons in the series on the New Frontiers Church YouTube channel you can hear about a spiritual house made out of living stones, about hope and love and complete surrender, about our civic duties of honour, about radical Christianity. You can hear about marriage, misogyny and mission, how to be winsome weirdos, shepherds and sheep. And last week we learned how humility is the road to blessing. But there's more, because today we're going to hear about Taming Lions. And here's Rachel Engelman to read our scripture passage to us. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 10. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Thanks, Rachel. I love the end of that passage, restore, strengthen, confirm, and establish. I'm just not so excited about the roaring lion who's prowling around looking for someone to devour. I mean, some of us might have seen a lion in a zoo or maybe even in a safari park. But can you imagine meeting an actual lion in the jungle? What would you do? Well, According to experts, I can tell you that the last thing that you should do is to run away. That would be certain death because that lion can run a lot faster than you. No, you have to stop and turn and face the lion. You have to look very brave, make yourself as big as you can and you have to stare that lion in the eye, hold his gaze. And if you're successful, you will steer him down and that lion will back away. 
I hope that helps you on your next adventure. Well, we are unlikely to meet an actual lion as we go about our business today. But life is like a jungle and there is an enemy who prowls around looking to devour us. Scripture reveals that there are spiritual forces of darkness and evil working in the world. They are personified in the one that Jesus called the devil and the demons who work for him. But, and this is important, unlike God, they are not all-powerful, all-knowing and all-seeing, but they are real and they don't want the church to succeed. And that's why Peter is telling us, be sober-minded and watchful. Somebody who is sober-minded is clear-headed, they have a good grasp on reality. And somebody who is watchful notices what's going on around them. The opposite would to be drunk and dozy. When someone is drunk, their vision is fuzzy and their perception of reality is distorted. Their inhibitions are loosened, they lose self-control. And when somebody is dozy, they don't even notice what's going on around them. Like the lion who's prowling around the edges, they may not even acknowledge that there is a lion. But if they do see a lion in their path, drunk and dozy, they're more likely to say, here kitty, 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 and flirt with danger, rather than recognizing that the kitty is the lion who is seeking to devour and destroy. So we must be sober and watchful, a bit like a security guard. It's not that we go looking for a lion behind every tree, but that if we do see one, we recognize it and we know what to do. Peter is warning them, hey, stay alert, watch out, remember you have an enemy. And the Christians that Peter was writing to certainly had an enemy. The Emperor Nero was persecuting them. He was imprisoning people, beating them and even executing them. And Alka warned us last week that any Christian who decides to follow Jesus will find their faith opposed by three forces, the world, the flesh and the devil. Now in this world that we live in in North America, we not be, may not be facing physical persecution, but we do live in an environment that is increasingly hostile to the gospel. And our flesh? I think we all struggle with our flesh. The enemy would love it if we just indulged in all of those fleshly desires and lived in such a way that we couldn't even tell that we were following Jesus by looking at us. Don't be deceived. The enemy will take full advantage of your weaknesses. He will push your buttons and pull your triggers. John 8.44 says this of the devil. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He comes and he drops just a little thought in our mind. It has a grain of truth in it to reel us in. 
but really it's slander and lies and it might come with a roar loud and in your face or it might come with a whisper and just sneak up on you from behind. The devil's ultimate goal is to destroy your faith in God. Being a liar, he loves to trash talk God and to slander his character. He'll whisper to you, God doesn't really love you. You didn't get healed? Hmm. I mean, if God is so all good and all powerful, why is there so much suffering in the world? God is punishing you for your sins. He's not so merciful after all, is he? And he'll question God. His goal is to cause you to question God's goodness, to convince you that God is not who he says he is, that God is the liar and he can't be trusted. But if he can't destroy your belief in God, he'll attempt to rob you of your identity in Christ. He'll pounce on you and pin you down, making you afraid and draining you of your courage, your confidence and your joy. He will tell you, you're not good enough. You're not loved. You don't belong. If they only knew about you. He will attempt to rob you of your identity in Christ, to convince you that you are not a child of God. But as strong as that enemy may be, we can resist him. We can stop his efforts in their tracks to devour us. How, Peter tells us, resist him firm in your faith. The book of James in chapter four, verse seven, gives us very similar advice. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We don't run away. We resist so that the devil flees. I'm gonna hand back to Rachel Engelman, who has a great story to tell us about how God helped her in just this kind of situation. Rachel. A little while ago, I was listening to a podcast by two published authors. These women were successful with popular New York Times bestselling books, and they were talking about feeling like being imposters. They described feeling like their success was due to luck and that it would run out and they'd be exposed as frauds. Their description of the imposter syndrome felt like a slap in the face. It's the idea that you've only succeeded due to luck and not your talent or qualifications. It's doubting your accomplishment and having a fear of being exposed. And that's exactly what I was feeling as a writer, as a teacher, as a mother and wife, as the head of nursery at church and ultimately as a Christian. I felt like any success was just luck. And at some point, I was no longer going to be able to keep the plates spinning. I would fail, the Jake would be up, and I would be exposed as a fraud. This past fall, New Frontiers Church was doing a sermon series on Nehemiah. I just happened to be reading the book of Nehemiah on my own before that started. Spoiler alert, it's not luck. It's the Holy Spirit. One of the sermons was on Nehemiah 4.10, which reads, The strength of those who bear their burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. This burden was too much for me. I went up for prayer and Ray prayed with me. 
I told her about feeling like an imposter and a fraud, and she told me to tell God. Well, it was a lot easier to tell Ray than it was to tell Jesus. But as soon as I did, as soon as I voiced it out loud, the light of his goodness exposed it as a blatant lie. And then he spoke his truth to me. He reminded me of a word that he spoke to me when I was 14. He told me to look up. Oh, my daughter, he said, look up. You are the king's child, a princess, daughter of the king of kings. Look up, lift up your face. I am his child. I am a princess, a princess, not because I married Prince Charming and was plucked from the ashes like Cinderella, but a princess by birthright, a true daughter of the king. When it comes to our salvation and faith, it's not our talent or the luck of Cinderella, but Christ's perfect work on the cross that transforms us into the children of the king. And there's nothing fraudulent about that. What a fantastic testimony. What a fantastic God. And you know, Rachel mentioned some things in her testimony that are really helpful to us in learning how to resist. She said to bring that lie into God's light, to look up and then to trust in what Jesus accomplished on the cross. You see, while that lie was running around in Rachel's head, she was running scared, pinned down by fear, afraid of being exposed. But by asking for prayer, she stopped and she turned to face the lion by bringing that lie into the light. And then as she looked up, God spoke his truth that she is a child of God. While the enemy is the father of lies, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. Truth destroys lies. When we bring that lie into the light, it's like as if that roar no longer has any bite to it. It lacks teeth. This is the truth. When you decided to repent and follow Jesus, your sins were forgiven. In baptism, you buried your old life and you were raised to a new life with Christ. You were adopted into God's family and God is your Father in heaven. You are a child of God and he will never leave you or forsake you. While the enemy would seek to destroy, Jesus builds us up and encourages us. One of the many ways that God encourages us is by making us a part of his family. Rachel spoke about how that burden was too heavy to carry alone. Now, we are not a perfect family, we all have our faults, but we do have a perfect Father who watches over us. And God's plan is to welcome many other children into his family, and we have been delighted in these last few weeks as we have welcomed new members into God's family as people have been baptised. So for you guys out there, welcome to the family. You belong here. But you know, hasn't 2020 been such a challenging year? It's been like a roller coaster ride, ups and downs, and that's a challenge for family life. I mean, there have been things to celebrate, weddings, new babies, and baptisms, but there have been so many losses too, so much suffering, 
we've lost loved ones, faced serious illnesses and other horrible situations. We have rejoiced and we have mourned. And in the midst of all of that, in this global pandemic, we're having to adapt to a new normal which feels anything but normal and our nation seems to be divided over important issues. And that is stressful. That's a challenge for any family. And if the devil cannot destroy your belief in God or your belief in your identity as a child of God, he will attempt to put a wedge between you and the people around you. He does that by sowing mistrust, creating misunderstandings and miscommunications. And I find that one of the main ways he may do that is through encouraging us to be mind readers. You know, that talent that we have for knowing what somebody else is thinking or saying about any subject without actually talking to them. Or where we can make an assumption about the whole person just by reading one thing that they may write on social media. Before we know it, we have a whole movie playing in our heads about that person. They didn't audition for the part, but we have cast them in that part. And that movie seems so true and so powerful. And before we know it, we're entertaining mistrust, malice, bitterness and envy about the people that we're supposed to love, our family, and the people that God wants us to bless. Rather than resisting it, we watch that movie over and over again, we rewind to the juicy parts and we hit replay. And it's hard to press the stop button. We're fighting the wrong enemy because in Ephesians 6, Paul clearly tells us our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms the devil and his demons, who love to tear apart families. In their book, Uncommon Ground, which I would highly recommend, Tim Keller and John Inazu and 10 other co-authors pose this question. How do we find common ground with others, even when we disagree on what is best for the common good? And they suggest that we exhibit humility, patience and tolerance towards each other. We heard about how we should clothe ourselves with humility last week from Alka. Well, in their book, this is what they say about patience. Patience encourages listening, understanding and questioning. It can help us draw closer to others as we come to recognise the shared experiences that unite us and the different experiences that divide us. So in other words, when we ask questions and listen, we may just discover that we have some things in common or that there are other points of view. Which brings us to tolerance. Tolerance really means that we allow others to have a different opinion. We agree to disagree. 
back to Keller and Inazim. Everyone holds views about important matters that others find clearly misguided. But we can do the hard work of distinguishing people from ideas, of pursuing relationships with people created in the image of God, while recognising that we will not approve of all of their beliefs and actions. Humility, patience and tolerance. We could sum that up by using the word love. And in fact, Keller and Inazu go on to say, when we are motivated by the love of Christ, we can do far more than simply tolerate. Jesus doesn't tell us to tolerate our enemies. He tells us to love them. And thank God that Jesus does not merely tolerate us. <laughs> he embraces us across difference and he welcomes us into his arms. The power of love defeats the enemy that would seek to divide because love builds bridges that connects us. When we focus on love, that roaring lie seems much quieter. It has no bite. So this is how we resist the devil, firm in our faith. We love God, we love ourselves, and we love our neighbour. God is who he says he is, our Father in heaven. You are who God says you are, a child of God. And together, we are family, a people belonging to God. So today, what is the lie that is pinning you down? Whether it's roaring or whether it's a quiet whisper, you can bring it into God's light. All of your fears and your disappointments, your conflicts, your loneliness and your isolation, you can bring it into the light of God and have an honest conversation with God about it. You can look up and hear the truth that the Holy Spirit will reveal and you can trust in what Jesus accomplished on the cross where you can be forgiven and where we can forgive others. The Father longs to speak truth over you and over me. He wants to reassure us of his love for us. He wants to reconcile us to his family and restore our relationships. And he's always ready to adopt more new children into his family. And today, maybe you've never experienced the love of God, but you long to do that. Can I encourage you, don't listen to the lie that says you're not good enough. If they knew about, and you can fill in the blank, I'd never be accepted, no. Hear the truth that the Holy Spirit is speaking. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you and for me. In dying on the cross, Jesus bridged the divide that separated us from God. Whatever our past mistakes, we can confess our sins to God and he will forgive us. As we are baptised, we can leave our old life under the water and be raised 
to a new life in Christ, born again into God's family, with God as our Father. Born again as a child of God. Shall we pray together? Father, I've been pinned down with fears and lies listening to the enemy, but I'm choosing to stop that and look up. Thank you, Jesus, that while I was still a sinner, you died for me to bring me to God so that I could be adopted into God's family. I repent of my sin. I'm leaving my old ways behind and choosing your way. Please forgive me and reconcile me to your family. I want to be a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you'd like to know more or you'd like somebody to pray for you, you can email us at hello at newfrontierschurch.com and if you prayed to become a child of God, please let us know. We'd love to welcome you into the family. We're going to hear a song from Christy now. You could make this song your declaration. You could speak out this truth against the lie. The song goes like this. I've been born again into your family. I am a child of God. God bless your day, everybody. Over to Christy. Chosen me. Ooh.